Hello, Portland. This is Daniel Lyman with the People of Portland podcast, where we talk to the best of Bridgetown. I am completely and utterly exhausted today, so I won't be going into a long rant or rave here at the beginning. I had a crazy fun weekend, but also just have not slept, man. I am tired. But that does not mean that I am not excited for this episode. I'll get into it here in a second. First, I just want to say thank you to all of you who are following the podcast or have subscribed to it on Apple or Spotify or whatever app you're using. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, fun to see how many people are actually listening to this crazy little project of mine. It's a it's a fun it's a fun trip for me. So if you are enjoying it, please uh, tell your friends and subscribe. I won't bug you about it anymore. This episode, I promise. Um, all right, my rant. Uh, what is my rant today? I'm actually feeling really positive about things, so I'm actually struggling to think of a rant about Portland. I mean, there are things that are not perfect right now, of course, but uh, it's I had just a fun weekend being on the river and swimming, and I floated down the sandy. Um, I was downtown at a restaurant, which was amazing. Um, and actually, yeah, that brings me to my rave, which is the Burmese restaurant that I went to on 23rd. I think everyone should go there. It is so good. Um, called Top Burmese Burma Joy. Um, I would just went there with some friends and I ended up absolutely loving it. It made me very happy. So I strongly recommend that restaurant. All right, let's get into the episode. Uh, this episode is f our first politician on the season, which is great. I actually want to interview more politicians, but they, uh, they're a little slippery to get a hold of here. This is Rob Nose, who is the Oregon State Representative for the 42nd District, which I am in. Um, and he is a wonderful gentleman. I've met him a few times. I'm on the neighborhood council for Kearns, and so he's come and talked to us a number of times. Plus, he and I went out to coffee when I was debating whether or not I ever wanted to consider running for office. And so uh, I reached out to him, and he was very generous with his time. And we sat for an hour and just talked about the process. Um, and then when I reached out to him for this podcast, he was like, yeah, absolutely, be happy to do it. He just got a great rating from Willamette Week, as he always does, um, because he's legitimately a very open, warm guy who uh, doesn't, you know, I hate to say it, politicians can feel smarmy, as we all know, and he doesn't feel that at all. Um, there's no smarminess to this man. He's very genuine. As you'll hear in this episode, he opens up about everything, including uh, his first sexual encounter, um, what it's like being Catholic and gay, um, the disagreements his husband and him have had, and he have had about a number of things. He's, he's an open book, and he's such a great guy. So I'm really excited for you all to listen to this episode. I actually interviewed him back in, I think it was February. So it's been a little bit since we, since we talked, so there might be a few references that are a little dated here. But uh, without further ado, please enjoy my interview, this long-form interview with Rob Nose. Yeah, it's exciting. I've been trying to get more uh, people in the political world on the show, but you're our okay. first here. So this oh, is very good. Uh, this okay. is cool. We've had actors, musicians, DJs. I've got my list over here. L random people, but not a lot of politicians. So I'm stoked you're okay. here. Well, all right, here we go. <laughs> so I don't know if you got a chance to look it over much on the website or anything, but really this this show is about celebrating the people that make up this city. Um, I really feel as okay. though Portland's at a place right now where we want to highlight the good that is going on in the city. And I feel like sure so much of the to. good... Yes, exactly. And so much of the good is the people that make up the city, of course. Um, and so it's really about getting to know individuals and their background and their their history. So we're just going to kind of start from the beginning, if that works okay. for you. Sure. So you are from Ohio originally. I grew up in Ohio. That's correct. Yeah. Tell us about that. Where in Ohio were you? Did you grow up? So um, it's funny. Uh, I was born not far out of East Palestine, where uh, that big train explosion has just happened. That just and happened. Yeah. It just happened. I moved away from there when I was about six years old to a small town. My dad got a promotion with Ohio Edison, a utility Okay. To a small bedroom community outside of Akron called Doylestown. Okay. My dad was a gentleman farmer, so he wanted property and the ability to get to his mother's farm on the weekends. So, so forget that, like a hobbyist as a farmer, or what? Like no, my dad. I mean, he he grew feed corn and hay and stuff like that on my grandmother's eighty acres in Ashtabula County. Wow. But he also had eight acres of his own that we planted all kinds of things: potatoes, sweet corn, sunflowers, all kinds of beans, you name it. So you grew uh, up on a farm then. I grew up on a, a farm, a small farm, yes. And then on the weekends, right. I would my father would drag me to his mother's 80-acre farm in Ashtabula County to help out her. Wow. We did not have animals. My father did not yeah. want to have livestock because he said that really prohibits what you can do. So, But we, we grew all sorts of things. 
Then um, I went to college. Uh, whoa, whoa, hold which... on, hold on. Before before we go there, I got more, I got more questions. Okay, for you all about... right, okay. <laughs> um, dad worked for uh, the public utility. You said yes. Uh, was mom around? Was she? Yeah, my uh... mom. My mom and dad were married the entire time uh, I was growing up. In fact, my dad died when I was twenty-one. So. Um, oh wow! When you were young. Yep, I was young. He was he he wasn't even forty-nine. I think at the time. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah, and. Um, so my mom was a homemaker. Uh, cool. She had jobs off and on here or there, but uh, you know, I I think they had kind of a traditional marriage. I mean, my mom was certainly no pushover and definitely ran her house, and I think they were equal in their marriage. But my father's job was to make a living and make money, and my mother's job was to raise three boys, and then eventually my sister came along when I was sixteen, so there were four kids. Okay, yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. So siblings, where do you fall in that line? I'm the oldest of four. Ah, okay, okay. What was it like for you being the oldest? Well, I think I had a slight inferiority complex at various <laughs> points because my middle brother, um, we, my youngest brother and I kind of gently refer to him behind his back as the good son. Okay. Never got in trouble, never did anything wrong, got scholarships to college. He was taller than me pretty early on, actually. Uh, a lot of times. Uh, he sounds he like the worst. He, was, he wasn't the worst. <laughs> He's just fine. Kidding. We weren't, <laughs> we weren't very close, though. Like as we got, uh, you know, once we were both in high school together, you know, he was a little bit smarter than me, a little bit more popular than me, um, and um, and just and very conservative. Like so, yeah. every bit as driven as I am, but conservative politically. Conservative politically, and so we we fought quite a lot. Actually, my mom was the Democrat in the family. My father was a Republican. Oh, you were in a divided um, house. We were in a divided house. Yes, we were raised Roman Catholic. Uh, thank goodness for my my dad because he was the first person in his family to marry out of the nationality. He was Slovenian. Uh huh. And so wow. my mom was French and German. They met in college at uh, Michigan State University, where he was studying forestry, and she was studying to be a teacher. Okay, and that was a big deal for him to marry outside. Apparently, it was. Yes, yeah. but at least my yeah. mom was a Roman Catholic. Yeah, that was the good thing. Yes. yes. <laughs> she could be accepted because she was Catholic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we were sent to, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. So um, ah. high school was St. Vincent, St. Mary in Akron, Ohio, which some of your listeners may recognize as the high school uh -huh. that LeBron James attended. Oh, of course. Of not, course. We were not classmates. He's a little younger than me. But, uh, yes. A couple years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I wasn't going to ask this until later. And again, if I if I ask anything too personal, you can always tell me you don't want to ask fine. this. But I think I'm, you remember, I'm a therapist, so I tend to go for yeah, that. Politicians <laughs> get asked a lot of personal questions. And to yeah. the extent that you're, as a politician, kind of more comfortable being open about your personality and your life, I think you're slightly more successful at this. Totally, totally. So I appreciate your, your openness here. But you went to Catholic school, something you and I have in common. I went to Catholic school as well. Okay. Um, and this is, kind of brings me to your your identity, your orientation yeah. here. Uh, in, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So do you identify as queer or gay or? Um, I'm a gay man. Great, as a gay man. Okay. So then what was it like going to Catholic school uh, coming across your identity so, as a gay man? So I did not come out until I was 23 years old. Uh -huh. And I don't think I could have handled it any sooner than then in terms of like who I was as a person and my confidence and all that sort of thing. And looking back now at like certain things that happened to me when I was 16 or certain things I noticed or certain feelings I had in high school or maybe even grade school, like, oh, that's what was really going on there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but wait, so um, let's get it. What, where, what happened when you were 16? <laughs> well, I mean, just like, I just, I can look back now and like why my friendships were men were so significant or yeah. why I had a certain sensitivity about things that other guys I was around didn't have. And, right. you know, it just, it just nothing bad happened to me in my adolescence other than, you know, I was kind of shrimpy and pimply and not a very good athlete. And I think, you know, that I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, that was not awesome in high school, I'll be honest with you. But um, I came out when I was 23. And um, all that summer of 1923, I've been sort of wrestling with like. Wait, going, summer of 1923. Summer of what? You oh, no, came sorry. out when you were 23. I was say, yeah, so summer of 1990, it would have been 91. Hmm. I was going to say, I know, you, I know you're a little bit older yeah, than yeah, I am, yeah, but yes, I don't okay, think yeah, 1923. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, 1991. <laughs> And I've been wrestling with sort of like thinking, just observing that like 
maybe I am attracted to men. And, and then um, this is probably a little PG-13 for your listeners. That's okay. Uh, but ultimately, <laughs> um, it's a longer story. You'd have to invite me back another time for me to tell it. But I was, <laughs> I was seduced time. by a gay Republican that worked for the governor of the state of Ohio. Wait, this is juicy. You got to tell us. Wait, a, a gay he, Republican. A, a gay Republican in the closet uh, uh-huh. in the George Voinovich administration uh, in the 90s in Ohio. Um, we met off and on in a professional capacity um, all that summer. And he was the governor's advance man. So that would be his job would be if you're going to a small town and the governor was going to show up. Uh-huh. He would scope the area, make sure he knew all the names of the politicians, make yep. sure he could whisper in the governor's ear who this person was, yep. get a business card for a proper thank you note, that sort of thing. Yep. He was not really, I was a very rookie lobbyist at that point, activist in state politics for students. I was, right. um, I was not popular in high school, but in college, I ended up being student body vice president at Miami of Ohio, and that's how I got into politics. Uh-huh. So I, was, I was lobbying in the Ohio legislature and then I was a cook at night uh, to pay my bills at, at a steakhouse. It would be like the equivalent of a sizzler. Oh, so I bet and you it, cook a good steak then, huh? I'm not bad. I'm not a bad cook. <laughs> so um, anyhow, I would run into him periodically off and on all summer. And he uh, eventually invited me to go out and get a beer with him one time. We had a very nice conversation. He was super right wing. Okay. And then for some reason... He, we got on the subject of gay bars and he got very cool. And the scene in Columbus, Ohio in 1991 for gay men was very fun, actually. Okay. Yeah. And um, I was just like, it didn't make any sense. I couldn't understand why he was suddenly so open minded and progressive. Um, I mean, looking back now, I know why, of course. Yeah, but, like, of, it course, didn't make, of course. It didn't make sense to me. Because you just assumed so, he was straight at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I thought I yeah. was still. And then, right. um, and then, so I go home and then on Monday I go back to work and I, I listened to a voice. He called me, he left me a voice message and he, oh, so he had me. a crush on you. Well, he pursued me. Yes. <laughs> uh, he invited me to dinner and he oh, said yeah. at, okay. at his place. And I was so, um, ridiculously naive about what was really going on here. He was a little bit older than me, like four or five years older than me. Okay. Um, and I, canceled plans i had to make it work with the evening that he had he insisted that he'd feed me at his house like all these so, so at this point you didn't think this was like a date no. you thought this was i mean of course i do now I realize oh rob this innocence is amazing but um i did not know what was going on and so he made a great dinner for me was, uh, it hopefully it wasn't steak because you probably it was lamb chops actually yeah, oh okay i remember okay. i remember a lot about this i mean oh wow, yeah he, he plied me with a lot of liquor and we, it was definitely, we were, it was a fun evening. He's constantly showing me pictures of him with, in his slightly younger days with various right-wing politicians from the eighties. Wow. And I know. And then, so I, it's like 10 o'clock at night and it's the point, if you know you're on a date, yep. you're going to go out and do something or you're staying in and you're going to fool around. Right. Right. And he, reached over and kissed me. And then I kind of recoiled and um, I was like stunned. And I, I, I must have mumbled something like, I can't believe you just did that. And he said, I can't believe I did either. And I said, you don't really know me that well. I said, I could have had a really bad reaction to that. And I, he said, I know, but you didn't. And then Whoa. I think we processed it for like another minute. And then he reached over and kissed me again and then turned out the light and we went into his bedroom. Wow. And that was your kind of that awakening. That was my coming out. Yep. To a certain Wow. With a gay Republican. With a gay Republican. <laughs> wow. Usually it's not Republicans that are uh, encouraging people to well, open was, their minds I mean, to new. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyhow. So. It was, uh, wow. Yes, that was the that... big, so that was a big shocking, jarring thing that happened. Okay. And, and again, yeah. you said you kind of had like inklings before, but never really. Well, yeah, but, under- no, so, and I was like, I don't know, like the first opportunity to really act on it in a dramatic way. And I think his charm, the fact that he worked for the governor, the fact that I was a lobbyist, the fact that I was wrestling with this, like, you know, all that yeah. just kind of came together in one big crescendo. And I, wait, you were 
20 how old are you at this I point was you were 23 23 so this was when you when you came out then okay yes. yeah okay and then after that it was like closet door open you're out well then i you know so that was like i think august or september of 1991 and you know then i got kind of weird like i got depressed i would kind of call him constantly i got sort of yeah. nervous and clingy and he's like he didn't yeah. want anything to do with me you know like he was not a yeah. he was a closet case but he'd been gay all his life and i was mm. He had led me to believe that that was the first time he'd ever done that, which was a complete lie. Oh, um, whoa. So he's oh, kind of yeah. pretty sketchy. Oh, he, uh, sketchy's a little strong. But, okay. but but he'd done this before. <laughs> and he didn't want anything to do with kind of a freaked out young man who's like, oh, my God, what just happened to me? You know, he wanted he was looking for fun. Right, right. And I kind of got really depressed about it. And... um. You know, just I was just struggling with the whole thing the way that a lot of people do. Of course. Finally, in November, I didn't have anybody else to talk to. I didn't know a lot of other gay men in Columbus. Like, this was all brand new to me. And I would go to things like in the community. And I was just like, I just didn't feel like I fit in it. The crowd was older. And I was you mean just, like you go to bars or what do you? No, no, like a, like a community center or something like that. I was too afraid okay. to go to a gay bar by myself at that point. And and I just like, this isn't for me. And the men were a lot older and they were just kind of looking at me like they were interested in me. And I'm like, I don't think that's where I'm at right now. And so finally I worked up the nerve to go see him. And what that meant was he never called me back after a while. And finally I just went to the the, the 32nd story of the the big government office tower in Columbus. Columbus is a big city. Ohio's a big state. Right. Not like totally. here, not like Salem. Yeah. <laughs> and I just waited for I, I went to his office the receptionist said well he's kind of busy and i said i'll wait and they said you're going to wait here in the lobby until he'll come out to see you and i said yes and, so d- he and you he didn't know he you i mean this was not planned well, he wasn't returning my calls yeah so wow. he finally came out and he said this isn't a good place to talk and i said i know i'm not trying to be all drama on you but you don't call me back and you're the only person i know that i really have to talk about with this and so then I guess I am telling you the story. Uh, I love so it. Went, I love it. <laughs> so we went back. So we made a plan. I had to go back to his apartment. Uh-huh. He, uh, I show up and he immediately starts kind of giving me a bad time and just not being very helpful and not being very nice as I'm trying to process this with him and he's not really interested or helping. And I finally, I just said, Hey, I said, wait a minute here. I said, are you gay? And he said, he paused, he thought about it, and he said, yes, I am. I said, okay. I said, how long have you known? And he said, probably all my life. And I said, okay. I said, wow. well, I've just figured this out in the last couple of months, okay? So I'm sorry I'm not as all together as you are about it. And I said, by the way, do your parents know? He said, no. Of course not. I yeah. said, does your, does your boss know? Does the governor know? And he said, no. And I said, okay. I said, I think you should lighten up a little bit on me because I don't think you're handling this that much better than I am. <laughs> you are brave. And then he got really cool. Like yeah. he calmed way down. He stopped kind of treating me like a kid, you know, right. or a closet case or just a puppy right. that, you know, and, and gave me some really good advice, including he said, you got to try to find some guys your age who you just want to be friends with, who you don't necessarily want to sleep with. Okay. Right. right. And he said, if you can do that, you'll come out of this. And then he tried to make another pass at me and I turned him down. (laughs) I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. That was courageous of you at that age. So it took me, it took me till like about January of 1992, like six months to kind of go, okay, I guess I am a gay man. I'm going to figure this out. I started telling people uh-huh. and getting used to the idea. Hmm. And did you make friends like he told you to? Did he make you friends I your did. own age? I did. I found friends? people yeah. at the university. Like I, yeah. I, I hung around Ohio State um, and found the, a gay group there. Yeah. As opposed to a gay group in Columbus in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Those so, the college students were a little closer to my age and my experience. That makes sense. And I'd only been out of college for a year, so it was it made more sense. 
So then did you come out to your family relatively soon? So I moved to Oregon in 1992 in in the spring to take a job with the Oregon Student Association. So I'd been trying to be a a professional activist for students, for university students in Ohio. And I was a cook at night to pay my bills. So when I took the job in Oregon, I didn't have to be a cook at night. I could be a full-time professional activist and give it a try. Leveling up. Yeah. That's right. So um, I did not come out to my mother... Because that's right, your dad had passed away at this point. My dad had passed away, so he'd never known. A couple known. years earlier. Maybe he, maybe he would have suspected, but I had girlfriends all through high school and college, so they wouldn't have had anything to really, you know, yeah. think, make, make them think otherwise. Are you still friends with any of those girlfriends in college? Sorry, I'm bouncing around. I sure am, actually, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I love that. Kristen Spangler, man, she broke my heart. She dumped me for <laughs> David Bidwell. Ah, what a jerk. Uh, yes. <laughs> Sounds like blue, she kind of made the right choice. Yeah, it worked out. He had, he had blue eyes, a slightly better chin, and more time uh, for her uh, my senior year of college than I had for her. You were busy, busy being class president student, and yeah, yep, student body so president. Body. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Okay. Anyhow. So coming out to your mom, though. So I... Um, I finally worked up the nerve to tell her, and I feel like it would have been in the spring of 93, and she confessed that she read a letter that my brother left on his desk at home. Like, she basically read my brother's mail, and she said, well, I've known for six months because I read the letter that you wrote to your brother. And And you wrote a letter? To my brother talking about it. and. And it was a little bit like my mother and I ended up processing more that she read my brother's mail. That was the bigger thing. Well... In a strange way, I think what the universe did was it gave my mother a way to find out and then gave her a lot of time to think about how to handle it until I finally got around to telling her. Yeah. Did yep. you tell her in person or over the phone? No, I was over the phone because she was she, at that point she'd relocated to Michigan. Oh, okay. Where she was okay. from. Yeah. So she still lives there. She's still alive. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So was this the conservative brother you wrote a letter to? No. This was the okay. more liberal brother. The conservative brother did not take it very well. He's come around there? since. Yeah, he just was not. He was just, you know, he just didn't take it well. That's all. Wait, and I, I also just want to ask, I meant to ask, the gay Republican here, is he still so around? We, um, <laughs> is I, he? I lost, the last time I heard from him. So He's president of the log cabin Republicans. He's no, he probably he might be. He's still, I'm sure he's still a conservative. I believe he's a lobbyist. And he, um, at some point, I found out that he got fired for being gay. Somebody outed mm. him. Wow. And he got fired. And when he was getting fired, he said, "Okay, here's the thing. Ohio doesn't have a law against." the discrimination against gays and lesbians, but the city of Columbus does. And he said, we're in Columbus. So if you're going to fire me for being gay, I'll go quietly, but I need a job in the bureaucracy. And this is the salary that I'd like. Wow. So he was given a different job. Uh, I think he went for, he ended up in the department of insurance. I'm not exactly sure what he did there to be totally honest with you, but he, you know, he finished out the Voinovich administration before, uh-huh. sen- before Morinovich became a United States Senator, um, doing something for the Ohio Department of Insurance. And wow. he, he became a lobbyist. And, you know, I think, you know, he started living out lo- much more openly as a gay man. It's good. And, I, yeah. I have to say, th- this guy, you know, I know you, you said he didn't feel scared. There's a shadiness to this guy. Of course I, there is. <laughs> like a, but, you but, push yeah, back on that a little bit. He's but, a little sketch. But, but, yeah. But, yeah, but whatever. But, um, <laughs> Interesting. He's the man. He's the man yeah. I slept with the first time. When, yes, so you know, that's right. I don't, I don't mean happened. to speak ill of him. No, it's all <laughs> yes. good. I understand. I, 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 I've told this story at the coming uh, out like... logs that Basic Rights Oregon has that does periodically. I've had a lot of practice. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. sharing this. Yes, I'm and sure. he. Um, the last time I heard from him would have been the year 2000. He found out that my husband and I adopted two kids, and he reached out and said, "Congratulations." And I've, wow. I've lost track of him. I've never been able to really track him down. I don't think he's on Facebook or social media. I And his name is John Hamlin. There's probably a lot of John Hamlins yeah. in the world. So I just haven't been able to find him. Yeah. That's a nice final contact, though. If yeah, that is the, it was. That is, that's kind of sweet. So, okay, let's step back here. You're about, you moved to Oregon. 
1992, yeah, working lobbyist for the yeah, students. For the, for the Oregon Student Association, trying to keep tuition low and financial aid flowing. I did that for four years. And then you went to work time. for nurses, right? Then I went, the no, then I went to work for eight years with Service Employees International Union. So that's right. That's right. In the 90s, uh, when I was a young political person, the 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 governor was a Democrat. It was John Kitzhopper. It was uh -huh. Barbara Roberts for a minute, and then John Kitzhopper. But the legislature was controlled by Republicans, mm -hmm. and so it was a tough it was a tough time politically for progressives. But the labor movement still had power in the Capitol, and I was like, well. That's where I went to end up. So I went to work for SEIU and I quickly got out of the government lobbying, political activism part and went into the part about representing workers and bargaining and that sort of thing. So I did that for eight years. And then I got a little bit burned out on SEIU. It's a wonderful union and, and this state in part has the politics it has because of the work that SEIU does yeah. in politics and with the bargaining units that it represents, but I just, I was getting tired, I think. Fair, eight so years I, is a long went, time. Yeah. So I went to Oregon Nurses Association and- Before you go on that, so what, you were living in Portland at the time. So my, I lived in Salem when I was the lobbyist. And then I moved to, my husband and I, we met in 1992, but we didn't live together until 1996 when I went to work for SEIU and we bought a house in Southeast Portland. Got it, okay. We, we adopted our kids in 2000. 2000. So what was it like in Salem? What was it like living in Salem during the- it was fine. Those early days. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was fine. I mean, yeah. I, um, I went to Portland quite a lot because that's where Jim lived. And so yeah. I met, I moved to Oregon in May of 1992 and I met Jim in late August of 1992. And almost right away. And, pretty much right away. But that had been the longest dry spell I'd ever had as someone who's <laughs> Serial monogamist. Here. Well, I just, I couldn't meet many men in the summer in Salem, my yeah. age. Yeah, yeah, and I was busy trying to establish my work life and I wasn't meeting a lot of gay people. And so there was no one to kind of like take me to bars in Portland, you know, or introduce me or put me into a crowd or right. anything like right. that. I just, yeah, so I got invited to a party and, and Jim got invited to a party. Mutual friends of ours now each invited us and that's how I met him. At a party, I love that. At a party, yeah. That's great. Yeah, and this is while you were living in Salem, and then this is eventually while I was living in Salem. Yes, got it. So you did the long distance thing for a little while for almost four years. Wow. I mean, Salem's not that far, so it's not that no, long distance, hour. but still. But okay, four years of that—that that probably got old after a while. Or maybe it was the right I amount mean, of space. I didn't know any, I didn't know any better. <laughs> I would go, we would stay with each other on the weekends, you know, or come down or come up during the week when if work life if things were slow and yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have any memory of feeling like that was a drag. I mean, you know, we're we're a couple that has kind of like one fight a year where I feel like there's inappropriate name calling and door slamming <laughs> and that sort of thing. I don't think I think that's not that bad. And, and and when we first moved in together, there was like a fight like that, like you know, yep, uh, like every couple of weeks for a while until we kind oh, of worked okay. it out. You know, it's just it's, it's a little more intense at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Totally. What did you think? Remodeling a house and all that stuff. Oh, that's a lot of stress. Yeah. What What did you think of Portland when you were coming up here and then when you moved up here? What did you think of the city? Oh, I love the city. Yeah. From right yeah. from the get go. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's bigger than Akron, so there mm -hmm. was more here than the big city that I grew up next to in Ohio. Yeah. Um. You know, Salem is a small town, so totally. this felt like a great place to have things to do and hang out. You know, and I would come up here on the weekends and Jim and I would do things together. We'd go to gay bars together or go to restaurants or movies or, yeah. you know, so it was like a treat. Yeah. Because I was living in Salem and, you know, Salem is not like Columbus. Columbus is a major metropolitan area, which the yeah. it had a very serious gay scene. Uh, you know, because you had the university and government and insurance, all these industries. That all those gay Republicans. I mean, they just. <laughs> there was more than one. That's for sure. Yeah, I only sure. stuck with one that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> yes. So yeah. what gay bars were you going to in Portland? Do you remember? A little time capsule there. Oh, I know this, gosh, was, been no, this like was a few years ago. The Fish Grotto. Or, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Embers. Yeah. Uh, maybe Fish boxes. Grotto and boxes right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think these places aren't even around anymore. Fish Grotto's gone. Boxes Panorama is gone. Panorama might have been a place too that was there for oh, a while. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Silverado, I think, is still around, but it was in a different location. And it's we moved a bunch. A yeah. 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 Do you? I mean, that's that's a few years ago. Those are some old school places. I like it. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm 55, right? I moved here in 1992. So. Um. So you were you moved up here? You bought a house with your husband, and that's uh, continuing working for SEIU. But then you then you changed yeah. jobs. I went to Oregon Nurse Association in yeah. 2004. Cool. Cool. And then I I've been there until kind of the height of the pandemic in 2020. And I just couldn't figure out how to go back to work there and serve in the legislature. It was too much. Yeah, and, that's a ton. And uh, well, prior to 2020, um, I would get a leave of absence during session, but otherwise I would work kind of half-time-ish at the union and half-time-ish in my state rep job in the interim. And it was manageable. It was, you know, it was a little bit of workload, but we were fine. Right. But the, the pandemic just made that too difficult. And this is maybe a naive question here, but do most state reps, is this a part-time job for them? So most of us, if you're still of working age, um, get a leave of absence or really back burner somehow, whatever your job might be. Right. A lot of my colleagues right now, they're all working one or two days a week and they're either they're doing it on Friday or they're fitting it in on the weekend to the best they can. Um, and that's been a little bit of a thing recently in terms of like people needing to work or having to make an income or kind of constant pressure of session and serving is sort of interfering with their work life. Um, yeah. and I didn't really have that much trouble with it. Um, my job at the union was salaried and nurses work 24 seven in hospitals. And so if I would show up at like, 8.30 at night, because that was the best time for me to kind of finish up on something and pass around a bargaining update or check in with the night shift. Nobody cared. Like right. it made, in a strange way, it made me seem a little more responsive because it was like, oh, wow, the, the, the labor rep comes around on the night shift. He's at 9 p.m. Yeah. He, yeah, That's right. Yeah. 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 So, Interesting. but the pandemic just made it impossible. It was just yeah. too much work. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So, so, so let's get back my here too. was like, just take one job. And so he said, yeah. I could stick with the one that has good benefits, but very low. Pay. <laughs> I had good benefits at ONA too, but the health insurance of the state is better. I'm, I don't doubt that in the slightest. So what, what did, did you always know you wanted kids? I mean, I, I, I think I did. I mean, and then, you know, at some point, I think probably in my journey and coming out and being a gay man, I thought, well, that's kind of off the table. Right. And then I'm not really sure how my husband and I came to the conclusion that it wasn't. Um, yeah. I'm sure we talked about it a ton. And I know then um, we looked into the whole surrogacy thing. And I just remember sort of thinking to myself, man, I, I just can't imagine asking somebody to do that for me. And then mm. kind of give somebody up to child. carry carry a child. Yeah. For yeah. And then. And then kind of give it up and not really be involved in the baby and the child's life. And I said, I just don't think I have the guts to ask somebody to do that. And then yeah, we didn't have a lot of money then. So like paying for something like that would have been really hard. It's expensive then, for sure. Yeah. And then international adoption is also very expensive. And to be honest with you, like I wasn't sure how I would help raise a kid if we adopted them from an Asian country or a Latin American country, like immerse them in their culture, right. you know, some way as two white guys. I was just like, I just think, I just like, I just don't know how we would really do that. Like, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know that I'm prepared to layer that on on top of just being a parent and working. So somehow we found out, I mean, maybe it's because at the time at the working in the Capitol and SEIU and it's like, well, there's child welfare. Mm-hmm. You know, kids that get removed from homes by the state because the parents they have are abusing them. And the state helps you. Like they give you financial support. They let those right. kids be on the Oregon health plan. So we looked into that and that was the way we went with adoption. So we adopted to the state of Oregon. And were they siblings or they was were. this? They okay. are. Yeah. So they we are have a born girl. They're now 25 and 24. Yep. Um, yep. And my daughter has children of her own. So we have grandkids. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So, but yeah, we went to the state of Oregon. They were, now, our son was two and a half and our daughter was 16 months when they were adopted. Wow. Okay. Still, still pretty young. Still pretty young. Was that terrifying for you? I mean, yeah, I'm sure it was, but I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, 
the worst experience of my life ever in terms of anxiety and keeping me awake <laughs> at night and, and worry was the first time I ran for office in 2013, 2014. So I don't Got know. It. it wasn't as bad as that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says uh, about running my, for office. But. <laughs> yeah. My, my husband, well, we can, I'll answer that if you want. I mean, and then my husband and I made the decision that he would be the one to stay home. He, he's, he thought he was better suited to being the primary parent and staying home. So, you know, did I, you agree with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, you kept working. I kept working. That's a big choice to uh, adopt from the state. Yeah. I mean, it's a big choice to adopt. I mean, it, totally. I would argue it's a big choice to have children, though. Of course. With heterosexual no couples, what. you have the ability to sort of fall into it. As I mean, I think lots of heterosexual couples plan for it better these days. But Right. Yeah. It's not, you, you don't just have a bottle of wine and oops, no, we have That's kids right. when you're a exactly. gay couple. It's got to be a little right. bit more planned. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So what was it like, or what is it like being a dad? Obviously they're, they're grown now, they're adults. Yeah, so you're it's not. Fine. I think we, you know, at the end of the day, we had the normal stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, helping our kids be successful humans. Yeah. Be empathetic, loving adults. You know, my, my son found out pretty early on that college wasn't for him and he dropped out and is now finding his way to become an auto mechanic and cool. is really enjoying that. My daughter um, had a baby at 18 and that was a little jarring at first, but it's worked out and uh, she's got another kid with a, a different guy that's a lot better than, I mean, we love our grandson, but his dad has challenges. And so she's with a different guy for our granddaughter yeah. And he's got a child from a previous relationship that didn't work out for him. And he is very involved in his son's life. And so it's kind of like we have three grandkids. That's awesome. And she's doing fine. She really is. Good. She's they... a good mom. It's worked out. I mean, it's not, it's not the most awesome thing when, someone, when, you're, when your daughter comes home at 18 and says, we're having a baby. It's a and lot. She, I, I want to assure you, she absolutely knew how to not get pregnant. <laughs> that was something you had explained yes. to her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But her choice. But it you, worked out. It did. It worked out. You said, you She's, know. Oh, go ahead. Uh, that's it. Uh, you said that you kind of dealt with all the normal stuff. As a, did you feel, you know, this is early 2000s. Did you feel there was big differences, like being a gay couple raising kids that you, know, you encountered? You know, if there was, we never felt it. Uh, God love uh, which Portland. was kind of surprising, I think, at one level and, and sort of lovely at another. Uh, mm -hmm. They went to Atkinson Elementary and cool. Hosford Middle School and Franklin High School. And, you know, if they, I, neither of them ever really reported to us that they took crap or anything yeah. for having two dads. I mean, so, no, not really. And if there was yeah. things said behind our back, I guess they were said behind our back, but we never really experienced anything negative or consequential as a result of that it was fine that's amazing it and, is kind you know, of i mean things and get I guess, said behind your back whether you're gay or straight or whatever i so. agree yeah yes yeah wow that's incredible yeah uh i know you are a practicing catholic you even spoke about that in your most yes. recent newsletter yes yeah um did you raise the kids to be catholic are they I did, and that was actually a thing that was very controversial to my husband my husband is not quite an atheist but close okay yeah he did not want to consent to them being raised Catholic, but he did. Uh, he did not go to mass, though he did go to their baptism and he went to their first communion. Uh-huh. Um, but that's it. Yeah. I drag I could drag uh -huh. them to mass until they were about age fourteen or fifteen and then they were and just then, like no way. Yeah. No, they didn't want to. Yeah. And and because Jim didn't go and we weren't dragging them together, they kinda got to make that choice. What church do you go to? Is it St. Philip Neary on, oh, cool. uh, on Division and 16th. So how does it, how do you reconcile being a practicing Catholic with being gay? That's a great question. I don't know that I do. <laughs> I, I don't know that I do, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. It's not really reconcilable. Um, you know, I... I mean, like I could become an Episcopalian, right? Which is uh -huh. like a lot of their Catholicism without the all the patriarchy and homophobia and their their pro-choice. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I get. I was, you know, my mom and dad raised me in 
Catholic grade school and high school. It's just kind of, I'm stuck with it. It's a moral compass that I have, even when I reject parts of it. And I just, I don't know, I guess I ignore that part, except when the bishop, you know, picks on trans kids. And then I just like, I find that disgusting and very unchristian. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, that's a tough thing then. You're, you're, it is you're tough, part of an organization right? Like, that, right. You yeah. think, you'd think if it was, if I was being a little more logical, I would get out. What keeps you there then? Boy, that's hard to answer too. Um, <laughs> good. Then I'm asking the good questions now. You know, I mean, <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess I was raised in it and there's enough there that I like and appreciate and, um, you know, I, I understand it seems kind of hooey to people that don't grow up with it, that some guy lifts up an unleavened wafer of bread and a cup of wine, and that turns into the body and blood of Christ. And we believe it's the actual body and blood actual, of Christ. Yeah. Your listeners oh, yeah. who might not know that. <laughs> That's um, what Catholics believe. And, they literally know, believe. And I yeah. think, you know, when I, yeah. when I say it out loud, even to myself and others, I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of like a lot of hooey to me. So it's, <laughs> One nice thing I like about the Catholic Church is that it tolerates a lot of doubt. It is yeah. a billion members, and there is a lot of diversity uh, within that billion members in terms of thought and how to live out your Catholicism and what it means to be a Christian. Um, and so I guess I have sort of always taken comfort in that. So far, nobody's tried to excommunicate me. Um, we'll see. Yeah. Yep. But Jim, not a fan. He's no, not. Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> Maybe this is a part of your relationship the two of you don't really talk we, about much. I mean, it, it's actually we don't talk about it very much because he can get kind of grouchy about God and religion and church and faith, and I kind of get grouchy back, and it's just not worth it. Interesting. I'm not, convinc I'm not convincing him, and he's not convincing me either. So yeah, you both have your beliefs. That's right. Uh, um, I, I wondered, and this is the, the more cynical part of me, to be honest here, I wondered if that was also kind of a political move of yours. Not that you aren't uh, yeah, someone of faith, no, I don't but think to so. continue I think that. Like, it's funny, I was afraid to kind of come out as a Catholic running for office in inner Southeast Portland, actually. Yeah, it's like harder than Especially being gay. Because if you're trying to get, you know, endorsements from pro-choice and abortion rights organization, I think they think you're that's a little suspicious. And right. there's... I absolutely believe in a woman's right to have autonomy over her body um, and including in pregnancy. And, yeah. you know, um, it's, that's not where the church is at. And, right. you know, to be fair to your listeners, like I understand why the church believes what it believes. Uh -huh. I think it's a legitimate belief. It's too bad that they want to impose that on everybody in the United States. Um, but that's a different rabbit hole that we could go down some other time. So I just don't focus on that part. And it's it's funny. I think people in Portland like to say they're spiritual, not religious, but I'm yeah. kind of the other way around. I'm You're religious, religious, not spiritual. Not spiritual. If I didn't go yeah. to church, I probably wouldn't think about God very much. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. And are you a weekly churchgoer? Maybe not weekly, but I try to get there. I'm so you're supposed to be weekly, but uh, <laughs> you're not a Christmas and Easter Catholic. Uh, a little better than that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't meet a lot of, similar to the log cabin Republican that you first hooked up with, you don't right. meet a lot of out gay politicians that yes. are also identifying yes. as Catholic for a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, Joe Biden does. He is not a homosexual, however, at least that's as far true. as I yes, know. <laughs> I don't think he is yeah. Who knows? I, I feel mean... like that'd be a thing. We, that'd be a thing. We would know that. <laughs> we, we'd probably know but that. But he is pro-choice. Yeah. Yeah, he yep. is and a Catholic. He has been, with... Yeah, and yep. he has been criticized for that. Yeah. Yes. So how has being a politician changed you in both good and bad ways? Oh, wow. Well, in good ways, um, I think it, if you like it, it makes you less cynical about politics and about the ability to accomplish things because yeah. you, you see especially if you get to hang around long enough, like you need to have more than one or two terms to acquire a sort of skill set and gravitas and ability, just like in any other job. Of course, you okay? need time. You're not, you're, not, you're not the best at it the first day you show up. It, it yeah. takes time to learn a skill and a craft. And it's neat to pass something, see it take effect, 
and then six years later actually see it have impact. That's that's pretty exciting. So it makes you, it's I think, cool. less cynical about government and what government processes can accomplish. Um, you know, on a sort of more like just personal Rob knows, you know, like when I like it's definitely improved my public speaking. I mean, and I always yeah. joke with um, people who run for office, like, look, you know, if you're there's plenty of other ways you can improve your public speaking. You can join Toastmasters. Okay? Yeah, totally. You don't have to like go door to door and give a speech on a topic that you know nothing to about. Every person be, you meet. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> be prepared if you're at an event to say something because you're often called upon to say something because that's the role of a politician. So you definitely get better at that and you gain more confidence. Um, I mean, I think I've always been a driven person and a workaholic, but to be good at the job, you, you know, there's always something you could be doing Yep. Whether it's it's more outreach, whether it's more research, whether it's more connecting with coworkers or advocates or a group of people that, you know, or, um, you know, even fundraising or politicking, like you could always be doing more of that kind of thing. And I think it's made me a little bit of a workaholic who does not have enough balance in his life. Um, mm. Is that what Jim know, would say? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no hesitation he'd say that yeah yeah and he tolerates it pretty well actually uh -huh. um he knows what he signed up for but i think it's gotten worse your workaholism yes yeah 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 so you, that kind of yeah. oh go ahead i was just gonna say if you want to be good at it you have to dedicate yourself to it and i think part of the challenge with some of my colleagues who have to work or they have little kids or even, you know, um, adolescents at home or maybe their spouse isn't as into it or wants a little bit more help from them around the house or with the kids or with income than maybe mine is sort of requiring like they, if they struggle with it, it's a very demanding job. I bet. And yeah. Well, and you know, you've been re you've been elected now four times, right? This yes, is, I'm headed so, this is my fifth term. Yeah. This is your fifth. So I mean you're you're clearly doing a good enough job to yes. uh, keep voters. I had a I had a difficult first election. And not that it was difficult like a tough race, Democrat or Republican, it was nasty. It was just difficult because there were six of us that ran right. the first time in twenty fourteen and and two of the well, maybe three of the six of us ran pretty viable campaigns. Yep. Um, and had a chance, you know, could have won. Had a fighting chance. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, everybody was nice. It's everybody was liberal and progressive and pro environment and pro schools and pro union and pro choice. And the, the question is, you know, like just who would do a better job and who campaigned more to convince voters to, right. you know, and so I won that beauty contest. And then sometimes <laughs> the primary is kind of a beauty contest. Yeah. And then, um in 2020 uh-huh um i drew an opponent because i took a tough vote on the public employee retirement system pers i voted against my union base mm -hmm. to rein in the cost of the system a little bit by asking the workforce to contribute a little bit of their salary toward the cost of the pension right and that was very controversial and my the labor union base that i worked in and grew out of was angry. And I, I could explain why that was a pro-union decision or something that we needed to do to preserve that pension for retirees. But I, I also understood what I was voting on and I knew why they were mad. Yeah. And so I, I drew an opponent and uh, interestingly enough, it was a transgender woman. And she, um, I would say she ran a little bit more to the left of me, actually. And if you're running to the left of Rob Nose, uh, you're pretty Oregon left. You're, you're pretty left. And it can <laughs> yeah. be a little, I think it can be, if you're that left, um, it can be difficult to be relevant because your politics are pretty out there relative to the mainstream of the Democratic Party herd. And, totally. and I, I definitely say I'm in the mainstream of the Democratic Party herd, but she even, she, her politics are more to the left of me. Um, but I ran a good campaign. Mm -hmm, clearly. And yep. And and so I won that primary. That was the first time I had a difficult race since the first time I ran. It was it's good to get you to have you be challenged a little bit. I'm it, sure it was it exhausting. Is. But it's, it's not know. it's not awesome to have to run on election. Um, but it's good every once in a while to be forced to sort of say, okay, 
yep. do I really want to keep doing this? What more do I want to accomplish? And give voters a chance to go, okay, is the person that we sent doing the things that we hoped he or she would do? Yep. And yeah. yeah. She tried to make the election about PERS, and it turned out that not enough voters were interested in that topic. And um, she's a very smart candidate. She knew what she was doing in terms of policy. Um, she made the focus of her campaign on being a transgender woman and uh -huh. being more progressive than me. And I think that was a fine enough approach. And had the pandemic not happened, and she'd been able to campaign more door to door, she might have come closer to beating me. Um, but the main thing I would observe is that she focused a lot on her amazingness, which uh -huh. is fine. And uh, not enough on what was on voters' minds on the in issues. the spring of 2020, which was the pandemic. That was a rough period. So everything period. in my campaign focused on what I was doing about the pandemic or what I was prepared to do to legislate about the pandemic. And I think it made me seem a little bit more relevant. And I just Definitely. think for Paige, that was a rookie mistake. Yeah. 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 She'd have a slightly better campaign consultant or just a little more campaign chops. She would have focused on that as well and, and maybe come closer. But she didn't. You won. Yeah. So a few, few more questions for you here. So you are on, and I'm going to get this, your mental health is, is important to you. Uh, yes. And you're on one of the committees that is focused. Am I'm I... the chair of the Behavioral Health and Healthcare Committee. Thank so, you. Yes. I, I had that written down somewhere. I just don't, I'm not looking at it right now. So my question about that is then, is because it's we're going to get personal here. Have you been in therapy? I was in therapy. <laughs> uh, yeah, you haven't. What is I, what? It's funny. So it's yeah. funny. Um, I've not been someone that's been an active practitioner and utilizer of therapeutic approaches to deal with issues. I've been lucky enough that most of my mental health has been about anxiety. Got it. And the first time I ran for office, uh, it was the most anxiety-making uh, thing I'd ever experienced. Yeah. And yeah. The way I would describe it is if you're a successful adult in your late mid forties, you have sort of figured out your career, your profession, how to be good at whatever it is that you're doing. And then you make a choice to do something completely different and you're yeah. going to a daily job interview, which is what a campaign is. It's exhausting. To do something totally different. And it was just very stressful. I knew I was putting a lot of stress on my marriage, on my career on me personally, you're putting yourself out there. And I really kind of snapped. Yeah. And, and so for, I haven't told very many people this, but I guess I'm telling people now, like a lot during, I would say the last three months of the, my first campaign, I saw a therapist to get a little help with my anxiety. Was it helpful for you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. At, I, a, bare, at a bare minimum, I learned about how to do a, like a breathing technique okay. where you kind of, yeah. you know, where you kind of center yourself. And uh -huh. it's funny. I think a lingering effect I have of that is every once in a while, if someone is saying something that really kind of stresses me out or maybe concerns me and I'm like trying not to react and I'm trying uh -huh. to gather myself and, and send it like, and then just you. like, I'll go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. You know, my mother's like, when, Take did that deep breath. when did you start sighing like that all the time? And I was just like, well, mom, it's kind of a habit I've picked up you know, <laughs> since running for office. That's good. I'm just like, what, what, yeah, what you're saying is it's become second nature for you when you're stressed out to take a deep breath. Well, the other thing I like to do is um, if I'm experiencing a moment of stress and anxiety that is sort of overwhelming my muscles and my, and my body, my nerves... Um, I have found, uh, going somewhere and dropping and doing 25 really awesome push-ups also <laughs> expels a ton of nervous energy and sort of gets a little bit of like, gets some of the stress and anxiety out of me, you know, like you're focused then and your brain is like uh -huh. trying to accomplish push-ups. It clears your head a little and gets some nervous energy out. I think we need to see video of Rob Nose doing push-ups on the house I'm floor. I'm not bad. You know, I don't the, think, I mean, um, unfortunately. But on the house I, floor, I think would yeah, be a big deal. I, don't, so. I have not done them on the house floor, but I have definitely <laughs> snuck into a, an office or two and done them really? periodically. Yeah, right before a big speech or right after. Good for you. Uh, yeah. Good for you. And, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I am, I'm, not the, I'm not the ugliest politician by any stretch, but I don't have a ton of pretty muscles. So <laughs> I probably wouldn't be willing to do them on camera for your... I, it's you know there's 
it's rare to find a politician who's uh, got pretty muscles. They're going to show up. There's on a few. There's a, yeah. yeah, there's a few that are. There's a there. Brian yeah. Sims, I think, would be yes. the. <laughs> yes, he is a very handsome guy. Yes, he is. He's got pretty yes. muscles. So. He does. He was a football player. Was he? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, he was a football player. Um, I forget which university in Pennsylvania. I don't East remember. Pennsylvania, he, yeah. He's from yeah, and I don't remember what school he played at. Um, and I think he came out later in life too. I don't think he was out when he was in college as a football player. I mean, maybe he was to himself. Um, For uh, people that don't know, this is a congressman. Uh, uh, no, he's not a congressman. He tried. Uh, oh, that's right. He didn't win. First, first openly gay state representative in state Pennsylvania. Rep. That's right. Picked up quite a following. I bet there's a lot of gay men. Oh, of course. He's really pretty. You know, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's very pretty. He's kind of on the bear side. Um <laughs> Oh, but, that, um, Rob, actually, more really important question. How do you identify then in gay monikers? Oh, gosh. I don't know that I've ever thought about that. I'm not sure if we're going to answer that. I'm definitely not bare. I'm too, okay. uh, I don't, I don't have the muscles or enough hair to identify. Not a, not a bear. Uh, probably not. No. Yeah. No. What about twink? Well, I'm too old to be a twink. You're too old I mean, my, to be a twink. Yeah, I hate to break it to you. Yeah, yeah. My husband would have said I was twinky in my in my twenties and thirties, even. Yeah. What about a yeah. jock? Do you consider yourself a jock? No, I don't know. You're dropping into doing push-ups. No, I'm so, not, I'm not, but I don't have a ton of athletic ability. It was a it was a thing I think that held me back in high school. I have often wished I had been good in sports. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, I think I this know, makes you a daddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of in the bear zone, and I'm not. I'm not yeah, you're like not that there. Either, okay. So. Well, next time we talk, you'll have an answer about <laughs> okay, which right, gay moniker on. fits for yeah. you. <laughs> I won't keep you too much longer, but I'm going to ask the, two, the same two questions I ask everybody. Uh, Portland, of course, we are known for food, and I'm a big foodie myself. Me too. Three favorite restaurants, and you can't name more oh, than three. Gosh, well, Those are the right, rules. That's, that's kind of difficult. Um, yep. All right. Well, the first one that immediately comes to my mind. Um, would be a pizza shoals. Classic. I could eat, it was so good. I could, I could eat that pizza every day. It's so good. Um, We've really become a pizza city too, which I really am proud yes, of. Yes, we have. And so that I should probably branch out and try some others, but why should I when I've got that literally like two blocks from where I live? Oh, that's um, perfect. I really like uh, this Mexican uh, taqueria on Belmont. Uh, I think it's called Los Pinales. Pinales. Yeah, I love that yes. place. It's a gay place. Yeah. It's the gay taco uh, place. That's what we call it. It's gay taco place. And the tacos <laughs> there are amazing. Yep. Um, so I like that place quite a lot. I recommend it. That's great. It seems I to be believe amazing. it's run by some bears. So, yep. Well, yeah. they're Mexican. So no? I'm not sure. They're, they're bear-esque, you know, but <laughs> okay. they're also Latin. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can still be bears. <laughs> yes, but they don't have the beard. Well, some, the one guy might. I actually only, I think I only can picture the yeah. one guy. But it's a great yeah, place. Anyway. And then. It is. I picked a cart. I would pick a cart as well, which would be chicken and guns. Oh, yeah. Um, I haven't eaten there. Is it good? Yes. Yeah, um, it's kind of a it's a sort of Latin American Mexican uh, rotisserie style, but it's not rotisserie. Mm. You just got to try it. And they do. Yeah. a. In addition to the flavor of the chicken and the way that they season it, their French fries are really um, baked potatoes that they then slice and then deep fry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like a twice Baked. Like a twice baked potato. Potato, and it's a, their French fries are amazing. And deep and then, of course, fried. Wow. And the, yeah, and then they've got some kind of sauce choice that you can have with it, and that. So I yes, I recommend chicken and guns. That's amazing. You said Cartopia. That's right on Hawthorne Cartopia, there, right? Yeah, the, yes. yeah. Oh man. These are all restaurants in a cart uh, in my district. And I, it sounds like you, that's smart. Of course, um, yes. are there? I guess I'll give you what permission. Is there a restaurant outside of your district that you would that you love? I like Ox. I've been there oh, a yeah. long time. But that's an amazing place. If you're a meat yeah. person and you like uh, Argentinian cooking, uh, that's that place a great, is great place. Yeah, yeah, totally. All right. It's and the last here. question for you is uh, if there's somebody that you wanted to hear more about and learn their personal kind of backstory, who do you think should be on this podcast? A Portlander, of course. Mm, a Portlander. Yep. Um, okay. Well, shoot. These people aren't necessarily... One of them might be a Portlander. So... Gotta be Portlanders. Um, I gotta be Portlanders. Boy, yeah. I hope Ebony Clark is a Portlander. She might live in Lake Oswego, though. She is gonna be. She is the about to become the new behavioral health director for the state of Oregon. 
Ebony Clark. Okay. And she, um, we we need someone really good in that position, and she has done, I think, an amazing job in Multnomah County. You might consider interviewing her. Okay. And then I don't yeah. know if this guy is also a Portlander or not, but uh, I mean, James, suburbs are okay, but you know, <laughs> James Schroeder uh, is going to take over as the Oregon Health Authority director. He's interim right now, and we'll see how long he stays interim until he gets it for real. Uh, but he's brand new. Tina Kotek just appointed him. I just read um, that actually. Yeah, and that job is very, very important as well. There, so she will ultimately Ebony will ultimately report up to James. Uh-huh. Uh, the behavioral health director reports to the the Oregon Health Authority director, who ultimately, of course, reports to the governor. Awesome. Um, but those might those would be two interesting people, uh, probably for your listeners. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Rob, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate yeah, your time. I didn't it's really fun on to get to. My I, out story. <laughs> I know. I love it. That's the stuff we want to hear. That's okay. the juicy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Even, I hope my mother does not listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'll send it to her directly. Yeah, no, okay. Right. Very good. Yeah. Thanks again, right. Rob. I really appreciate nice. it. Thank you, Daniel. Okay. All right. Have a good Take one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a lovely guy. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate you being on the show. You know, we didn't get into politics too much in this episode, which is a passion of mine. Um, but I think uh, at some point I would love to have him back on the show. We can talk talk politics a little deeper here. Um, But for now, it was great to get to know him on this personal level. So hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next week. Oh, and, you know, I didn't even mention, happy 4th of July, everybody.